But we're in the book of Acts. We're in the book of Acts, and remember the theme for Acts is victory no matter what. No matter what we're facing through faith in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. No matter what's going on, we can still have victory through faith in Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the title for today is God Knows Our Breaking Point. Anybody feel like they're at the breaking point? <laughs> Lots of us, right? Uh, at the breaking point. And uh, God knows it. Acts 18, 1 through 17. And I'm going to start off with some farm pictures because everybody's like, where are the farm pictures? So I got some farm pictures. Uh, here's uh, the, my, my parents with each of the kids and our spouses. So that's first of all. And here's the Phoebe's. Uh, the, my mom's name is Phoebe. She's like the fifth Phoebe or something. And then my sister Phoebe. But nobody was naming anybody Phoebe. So uh, Matthew and Juliana named uh, uh, little Eva, Eva Phoebe. So there's another Phoebe. She's not impressed with it, obviously. She's not impressed. Yeah. All right. And then pick some pictures. The lilacs are just coming out there everywhere. And lots of dogs, lots of dogs, lots of dogs everywhere. Oh, here's a video. The hayride. Can you get a sound on or is that all? We got to have the sound because I'm doing commentary. So. There goes the hayride. Hey, wave, wave. Lara, you wave. 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 Don't go in the pond. Okay, and then there's another one. Uh, what's the next one? Oh, Laurel got to ride, drive her first tractor. Her first there's tractor. Laurel and Dad. Wait, that's the wrong one. Is there another one? Lucas, I'm ah, you do that it. That was the wrong one. Well, anyway, we were. Oh, oh, Dad. Oh, Dad. <laughs> I almost got that on video. <laughs> Lara, Nice, James. Lucas, you gotta do it, buddy. Lucas got one. Ready? Here he goes. Woo! He knows how to find a fire. Nice, Lucas. Nice, Lucas. Whoa, James. Don't you get out, though. Lucas, let me see you do it. All right, that's good. That's good. Well, I did the wrong. I did the wrong tractor ride. Laura was driving, and I was on the tractor videotaping her, and she was swerving all over, and she almost ran over Nate and the boys on the, the other little lawnmower. And she, but she was like, now I can drive a car, right? Now I can drive a car. So, so you get a little taste of the farm there, the cousins and everybody. Uh, I had a great time. Needed to get away. Anybody ever need to get away? Need to go get away to the farm. It's always a great time of R&R. Uh, you see the fire where the fire's going, and raising little pyros and all that and uh uh and i remember 10 years ago i was really going to crash and kim surprised me she said you're going to the farm i'm, I'm flying you to the farm just getting you away i go oh, i don't want to go you go you either go or i'm leaving she said so, so but uh, i was cracking up god knows god knows when we're at our breaking point and what we need as we're going to see today from this passage here let's pray father thank you for the worship Thank you for the kids and their song. Thank you for getting each one of us through lots of obstacles to even get in here. We thank you for that, Lord. And just pray that your word would touch our heart and speak to our hearts now. And if anybody has never put their faith in you, never given their life to you, that they would take that step of faith through Jesus Christ today. Amen. 
Okay, so Paul is in Athens. I'm going to read you the passage first of all. Paul in Athens, starting with verse 1. I'm sorry, he just left Athens, now he's in Corinth. We saw Athens last time, he's in Corinth. And we'll start with verse 1 with Paul. Uh, After this, Paul left Athens and went to, I'm going to read it over here, I guess. Went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius, Justice, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. But since it involves questions, uh, I'm sorry, just as Paul was about to, you're jumping at me there. Just as Paul was about to speak, Galileo said to them, if you Jews are making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names in your law, settle them out or yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sothenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul, and Galileo showed no concern whatsoever. Okay, so we're going to have some fun with this. First of all, we see introduced here Aquila and Priscilla. And we're going to see more of them as we go through the book of, of Acts, Aquila uh, and Priscilla. Also, we see that Paul is tent making. You ever heard that, that saying, tent making? He's tent making here. They, Paul had a, we call it today, a side hustle. He had a side hustle, all right? Uh, they call it tent making. We call it side hustle. It, probably because he needed the income. The, the, the support couldn't keep up with his ministry and where he was going and what he was doing. He was going all over. He was getting chased out of towns too fast for them to catch up with him, right? Couldn't keep up with him. But he's also sending a message to those he's trying to reach. In fact, in Acts 20, 33, he, he says this very thing. He says, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said is more blessed to give than to receive. So he's sending a message where he went. He would often do the tent making ministry. And he was sending a message to those he's trying to reach. I'm not here to get something from you. I don't want any money from you. I'm here to give you something. And he was trying to send that message to the believers uh, or to the people he's trying to reach before they became believers. He, and so that's another reason why he did this tent making ministry uh, as a church. When we started our church 22 years ago, we decided we're not going to hand out 
pass the offering plates. Probably many places you've been, they pass the offering plate. Nothing wrong with that. But we did a study on the demographics and, and found that people and New Hope think that churches just want their money. Just want their money. So we said, well, we're not going to do it. We just put a box in the back. We don't even announce it. We don't even announce it. I'm announcing it today for the first time. But we don't even, but we don't even announce it. But we just trust the God. And I had so many people tell me, you can't do church that way. You know, our, our leadership group that helped us get started. You got us pass a plate. You'll never have enough money. Well, we never passed the plate. We've never announced, we rarely, rarely announce anything about finances. But every year God has met the needs and blessed us. But that, that's what Paul was trying to do that very thing and there are many tent making ministers and missionaries today uh, there's many many it's a necessity for many because a lot of times they can't make enough or get enough support a church big enough especially with the, the church and the post-christian decline in our country but it also helps people when they're working in their community it helps them to connect to connect and identify with a target but really all of us Every one of us, no matter what your job is, no matter what, you're, what you do, all of us are really tent makers, aren't we? All of us, our day jobs, or whatever we do, go to school, whatever, whatever we do is really just a side hustle. Did you realize that? What's our main job? Share the gospel. That's our main job. And if you're just going to your job and working and getting your money and not keeping your eyes open, you're wasting your, you're not doing your job. Our, our real job as Christians, whatever we do in the day, whatever we do at school, whatever we do at sports, that's just a side hustle. Our whole goal is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our real job. And Paul sets this, this up for us, okay? We also see that Timothy has rejoined Paul's team. Uh, remember that whole thing with Timothy? And I said, God gives second chances. We spent a lot of time on that. It was an awesome story. But we see the result. He's now joined Paul, and he's probably wishing he didn't because of all they're going to be going through together. All right? Uh, and then we also see Paul's focus changes from the Jews to the Gentiles. Okay? Now, I want to say this about when he uses the word Jew. A lot of people say, oh, he's picking on Jews. No. Guess what Paul was? A Jew. Timothy, Silas, all the apostles. Jewish, Jesus, Jewish. So when they use this term Jew in this way, they're not talking about the Jewish people. They're talking about in the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament, they're talking about the Jewish opposition, the, 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 the religious, the, the people had lost their way religiously and th- thought they were going to get right with God by following the law instead of by putting their faith in God. It was always the, from the very beginning, Genesis through Revelation. It's the same thing. But they, this group, I would call them almost radicalized Jews. That's who he's talking about when he talks about the Jews. They're the ones who pursue. They're the ones who attack. He's, and we're going to see all throughout the book of Acts, he still reaches out to the Jews first always. But there is a shift that happens. Let's look at verses 5 and 6. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. When they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest to them. Your blood be on your own head. I'm innocent of it. For now on, I will go on to the Gentiles. And this was God's plan. First for the Jews, then for the Gentiles. First for the Jews, then for the Gentiles. This has been God's plan to first preach that Jesus came to the Jews preached the gospel, many of them became Christians, and then they became missionaries to the Gentiles, okay? And there, are still many, there were still many Jewish converts all throughout the book of Acts, and even today, look, look at verses 7 and 8, he says, Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius, Justice, a worshiper of God, 
Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. So right, right there you see the, the synagogue uh, leader it became a Christian. His whole household, they're all Jewish, okay? Then and now we see many, many Jewish converts. But the bulk of the converts from this time on, we're going to see the bulk of the converts are Gentiles. And we're going to see this continue for 2,000 years right to this time because we are now in the church age, the church age. But when that wraps itself up, you can see the book of Revelation, when that wraps itself up, all of a sudden, it's the, once again, God's chosen people, the Jews, the Jews. Jesus is coming back to Jerusalem. He's coming back for the remnant of the Jews that are left. He's coming back to Jerusalem. The Jews have a very, very important place still in God's plan. The Israel, the church has not replaced Israel. That is a false teaching. I'm going to say it right out. Some of my friends are upset with me now, but it's a false teaching. The church has not replaced Israel. They still have a very important place prophetically from Genesis through Revelation. Okay, But the church age, until, until Jesus comes back again and the remnant turns in, in mass, the, the bulk of the, Jew, the converts are going to be Gentiles. Uh, but once again, many, many Jewish people coming to Christ. There have been more Jewish converts in the last hundred years than there were the last two centuries before that. It's unbelievable what's happening. And we know why. God is getting ready to send his son Jesus. And he's preparing that remnant. We, we see that, okay? So, uh, these conversions tick off the radical Jews. They take Paul to court, verse 12. While Galileo, Galileo, Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. They're mad. They're mad because of the converts that, that, that Paul is reaching, both Jewish and Gentile converts. Uh, they're, they're jealous. It says over and over in Gen, uh, Acts, they're jealous. This man, they charge, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Galileo said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names of your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. Then the crowd there turned. Uh, oh, I, I mixed something. Then he drove them out. I missed that part. Uh, back up to 16. Did I miss that? Uh, so he drove them off. Thank you. Okay, then verse 17. Then the crowd there turned on Sothenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul, and Galileo showed no concern. Galileo showed no concern whatsoever. So uh, the, they take Paul to court, but the Supreme Court rules against them, so they riot. Can you believe that? People back then must have been really bad because they, they didn't like what the court ruled. They rioted, you know. That's what they did. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it, it's crazy. Back then, they would riot and threaten the court and threaten the, 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 the judges If back then. That's what they would do. It's just crazy, right? Uh, you just can't imagine that in today. Uh, so... So they're frustrated, so they beat up the new synagogue ruler. Remember, the other one became a Christian, so he got kicked out of the synagogue. But they beat up the new one. They didn't like, they, they kicked, the, the last one they kicked out, but the new guy didn't pull it off, didn't do a good job, so they turned on their very own new synagogue leader and ride and beat him up. Uh, but and the interesting thing, nothing's new under the sun. We're going to see a lot of this. Put on your seatbelts, right? But Paul didn't even, look at what it says, Paul didn't even have to open his mouth. Just when he's getting ready to say something, what did God say? God said, I got this. He took it. 
God says, I got this. Uh, and the timing of this is very encouraging. There's no, uh, the, the timing uh, of, of what has just happened and all that just happened, it's no accident. It's right after, and I skipped these verses because this is what I want to focus on today. This is the real focus. Acts 18, 9 to 11. This whole encouraging thing that followed was just after God made a promise to him in Acts 19, 11. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and I have, and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. This is what I really want to focus on today. Why did God give this word of encouragement to Paul at just this time? Why do you think? And then follow up with the encouragement. He didn't have to say anything in front of the Supreme Court. Why do you think he did that? Think about what we just saw in the last few chapters. Paul was at his breaking point. So God gives him a break. Paul was at his breaking point, so God gives him a break. God knows how much we can take. He knows when we're at our breaking point. He knows when we need encouragement. So God gives them a right. How do we know that? Uh, we get, a, we get a, even a bigger clue in 2 Corinthians. Now, th- don't forget, this is Corinth. In 2 Corinthians 1.8, he's writing to the church in Corinth. And listen to what he says to them. He says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We're smack dab in that right now. And now we're in Corinth, right? In Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life. Uh, we'll hold on to that next one. Hold on to that one. He, he, he thought they were as good as dead. That's how much pressure they were under. It was crazy. He, he, the, the ministry that he's writing to the church in Corinth here, and he's saying that our ministry there in Corinth, our ministry there in Asia was brutal. So many times we think of Paul as Iron Man. The superhero, I am Iron Man. You know what I'm talking about, right? We think of Paul as Iron Man. Paul was not a superhero. He was just, he was not Iron Man. He was just a man. We have to remember that. And he was probably suffering from PTSD at this point. No kidding. He was probably suffering from that. Look at the last few chapters. He was flogged. He was chased out. He was hated. He was almost murdered. He was rejected. I mean, you know, look what he's been through, right? He's been through a lot, and he's got to go through a lot more as we go. Paul was probably at the end of his rope. He was probably at his breaking point. He was, so God gives him a break. God gives him a break. Anybody can relate to Paul? We all can, can't we? Not quite as much as he's gone through, I don't think. But, but we all know what it's like to be at our breaking point. But look what he stresses. Jesus, what uh, God spoke to him in the vision there. I'm going to read it again. Verse eight, uh, Acts 18, verse 9. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one's going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. He gives them that. Uh, so Paul stayed for a year and a half in Corinth, uh, stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of the Lord. So we, he, he is, what is the very first thing God said to him? He's at his breaking point. The very first thing he says is, 
I am with you. That's the first part of it. I'm with you. What do we feel like? What do we feel like when we're going through a hard time? What do we feel like? God's so far away. So far away. Where are you, God? You ever say that? Go ahead, be honest. We've all said it about a thousand times, right? Where are you? What are we really saying? Don't you care? Isn't that what we're really saying? Don't you care? God assures Paul right here. He says, I'm right here. I'm with you. I'm right here with you. And then God assures them there's going to be no more attacks while he's in Corinth. No more. That's probably why he stayed a year and a half. Usually Paul didn't stay long, right? I like you here. Nobody's attacking me and beating me up. I'm winning all my court cases, right? He usually preached and ran, right? He usually preached and ran. There was always a posse hunting him, right? And so God gives him this time of, of, of R&R here. And look what else God told him. He said, I have many people in this city. Many people in this city. There, this will be a fruitful time for your ministry. A fruitful time. You're going to see lots of converts. You're going to see lots of people put their faith in Jesus Christ. You're going to see that. For once, there's going to be more converts than stones. Right? He usually saw a lot more stones than he saw converts. For once, he's going to see more converts than stones. He, 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 uh, do you ever feel that way, though? You just need some encouragement? Many times I pray, God, what am I doing here? What should I be here? You ever pray that? Should I be in this job? Should I be in this ministry? Should I be in this family, this marriage? Should I be in this, you know, this school, this team, whatever, wherever we're facing our, our, our stress, wherever we're facing that breaking point. And, and, uh, it, I, many times I said, God, should I be here? Do, do I hear this right? You know, it's, it's a tough place to live, right? It's a tough place to minister here. Uh, and, and sometimes I say, God, I just need some encouragement. And then God, many times I've prayed this, and then God just, someone will visit and, and be encouraged, you know, be encouraged that they visit. Or someone will become the Christ. They'll put their faith in Christ. And I just, just needed that. Or, or someone say, I want to be baptized. Or this is what God is doing in my life. So God will just send just that word of encouragement. Just you know, just when we need it. And, and then I, and, and I'll go home after that, after I've just been praying in the morning and go home and say, see, God, it didn't take much. I just need a little bit. Yeah. I just need a little bit of encouragement. You ever, you ever say that to God? See, I just need a little bit. And so Paul gets this encouragement. Maybe you are feeling beat up today. Maybe you're at the end of your rope. Maybe you're, you're saying, forget P. TSD, it's not post. I'm in it now. I'm in it now. I'm in the trauma now. Maybe you feel beat up in your marriage as a parent, as a kid, and your job, in, with, with finances, with the inflation. <laughs> we aren't going there. Maybe in the, what's going on in the USA or in the world, it's stressing you out. You're stressed and depressed from something. And you're wondering, where is God? Where is God? And we, I want to encourage you to memorize Acts 18, 9 to 11. Where, once again, I'm going to read it, read it where it says, 
for I'm, I'm going to start with verse 10. Uh, for I'm with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. Memorize 8, 18, 9 through 11. God is right here. We can depend on him just like Paul did. He's always right with us. Now, Paul always knew God was with him, right? But why did he need a vision at that time? Because he was going through such a hard time, he needed an extra shot of supernatural grace. And, and, but, but we all have this promise, the same promise that Paul had. That's for us. God is right here. No matter what you're going through, no matter what trauma, no matter what bad news, no matter what stress, no matter what you're going through, God is right here. In fact, but, but that trauma that we're going through, that stress that we're going through, the, what we're, the trials that we're going through, that may be the whole point of that pain. The whole point, the whole purpose for our pain today might be to prove that very thing. What you're going through, that, 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 the, the, what we're going, the trial we're going through, the whole point of that, going through that, may be to prove to us today that God really is with us. That might be the whole point of why he's letting us go through it, so that we will always, we will know it, because we're going to experience it in a powerful, powerful way. In fact, let's go back to 2 Corinthians 1.8. I already read verse 8. We don't want you to be unaware. No, no, that's not it. Second uh, Corinthians 1.8.9. Thank you. Uh, indeed, in our... Let's start with verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Now get this. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Why did Paul have to go through that horrible time? He had to learn total dependence. And we can only learn that through a severe trial in our life. We can say, oh, I depend on God. I, you know, my God, don't fear, don't be worried, don't do... You know, but it's not till we really go through something intense that we really understand what it means to really depend on God. That trial. And and so we go through these times to teach us this vital lesson of total dependence. You see the connection between Acts 18 and 1 Corinthians 1? The complete connection. This is the secret. This is the secret to not only survive, but to thrive. No matter what we're going through, no matter what crisis, no matter what cancer, no matter what grief we're going through, no matter what happens in the USA today, whether it's inflation or or riots or, or war, or war, it's total dependence on God. That is the whole point. God is preparing us. When we go through these trials, he's preparing us. To be totally dependent and to face what's coming, coming our way. He's preparing the real church in America today for what's coming our way. Read the book of Revelation. Listen to my, my sermon series. He's preparing us for that. And more importantly, he's preparing us not for what's coming, but for who is coming. Exactly. 
For who is coming? First John 3, 2 says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. We have this hope, and so we're purifying ourselves. We're letting God refine us. We're letting him prepare us as it gets closer to the time of Jesus Christ coming. And I believe it's getting close, close, close. Uh, uh, only Joe knows the exact date, but he didn't spill the beans when he did the sermon. Right? He didn't spill the beans. All right? But what is God using to teach you? Total dependence. Or to keep us dependent, to help us realize the, the, the truth of that, of Second Corinthians 1, 8, and 9. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises it. Paul thought he was dead. And it was so he would rely. What is God using to teach us? Can you think of maybe something in your life now? Can you think of something in the past that God used to teach you? Um, one, I was trying to think, there's lots of things, unfortunately, in my life that I can point to. But I remember I was trying to think of something that's a great way to really bring this home. And, and I remember being in India. And some of you remember my story in India, if you've been here long enough, you've heard some of the stories in India. But I remember I was in India. And I was uh, doing a mission, mission there with Gospel for Asia, a wonderful organization. And... I, I got really close with it. Was a, uh, we were helping train a boot camp. It was really a seminary, but it's a boot camp of, of all these uh, young men in India, and we we're teaching them the word, and then we would go out and witnessing with them. And I got very, very close with this group of guys. It was like a, a couple hundred guys, but there was one group that said, well, we want you to come out with us. We want you to come out with us witnessing uh, on the street. So we went out there, and we preached in the villages. It's just amazing what they do. There's a reason why there's a revival there uh, ongoing. And, and, uh, and, and they said, Said, and, t- and, and the last day, this was the night before the last day I was going to be there. The last day, we want you to hike up Prayer Mountain with us. And when we get to the top of Prayer Mountain, no American pastor has ever gone to the top of Prayer Mountain. We want you to go to the top of Prayer Mountain with us and pray. And I said, well, I'll do it. You know, I am Iron Man. Yeah, I'll go up there with you. I'm not afraid to hike up to the top of the mountain. I could do it. I was a lot younger then. Uh, <laughs> a long time ago, 25 years ago. But anyway, the, <clears throat> so that day we're out, the village is preaching. We all got clothes for singing in the van. We just had the best time in the world. We stopped. They wanted to get something to eat. And, and you remember, you know, we were warned before. We said, don't drink the water, right? Or anything that's not, you know. <laughs> but I was close. We were close. We were having a great time. And we stopped at one of these side joints and, and started eating the Indian food. I'm going to eat it. And I started eating it. All the stuff, right? The guys are cooking it over a little fire. Cow dung or something. Right? You get the idea. And so we're eating it. And, and then, then they had an orange Fanta. I'll never forget the orange Fanta. The orange Fanta bottle. I'll never forget that. And and. Who knows what was in this orange Fanta? Who knows how many times they popped the cart off and put something else in it? But I drank it because I'm with my buddies, you know. And we had a great time. And uh, and uh, we get back to the hotel. And the next morning, I'm all, uh, the, the, I said, guys, I'll see you in the morning. We're going to hike Prayer Mountain before I leave. The next morning, I wake up, and I was like in, on a helicopter. Not really on a helicopter, but I thought I was in a helicopter. The room was just spinning, spinning, spinning. I'm like, <gasps> It was like, it was, it was crazy. It was crazy. It was like I was spinning and I was as sick as you could be, as sick as you could be. Sick. It was bad. It was bad, bad, bad. 
they don't have American toilets and all that. So you get the point. You know, there's a hole in the floor. Anyway, so it, it was, I was sick, 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 sick. And I remember crawling back to my bed, and my roommate was like, are you sick? I'm like, oh, no, I do this every morning. And, I, I, uh, <clears throat> and uh, well, they do it every morning, actually, because in India at this time, I don't know what's going on now, but they had tongue scrapers. They didn't use toothbrushes. They used tongue scrapers. And so the first day we were there at the, in the hotel, we uh, heard all this, like, it's not like people gagging and throwing up, like, oh, it's here, the disease is here, you know, we're all going to die, because they gave us all these shots and warned us, right? And uh, and uh, and we were like, what's happening? And it turned out they were all just using their tongue scrapers, but they actually scrape way down, and they sound like they're throwing up. So, so uh, and so, uh, I don't know, not everybody from India does this, but this is what was going on 25 years ago where we were, all right? And uh, so, uh, so, they, he thought I was using the tongue scraper. I go, no, I'm really sick. I'm really sick. And so he, I go, I can't go. He goes, well, the boys are looking forward to going up the mountain with you. You've got to go. I go, I can't. I can't. He goes, I'm going to believe for you that, that God's going to do it. He put his hand on me and prayed. And I'm like, it's going to have to be your faith. I can't even open my eyes. You know, and I, I was sicker than sick. He goes off back to camp, and I said, I'll, I'll call you from the hotel phone if I can go. I, I was so sick, and I finally said, well, I'm feeling a little bit better. There can't be anything left, you know, because, you know, you know, horrible, horrible. If you ever had severe food poisoning, you know what I'm talking about. And so I, I said, I'm going to try eating something. So I had a little food there, and I started eating to give myself a little strength. Oh, that was a big, big mistake. Big mistake. No. I didn't eat again until I got back to the United States. And so... Uh, <clears throat> So I'm just sick of that thing, but I know they're counting on me. And so I, I crawled to the phone, you know, the hotel lobby, and I, I was just like so tired. I said, I'm going to give it a try. Come, come and pick me up. And they're like, yay, he's coming. You know, they're all excited. And the guy shows up in a, in a van, to, to, and he, I get into the van, and I start driving to the camp a couple miles away. Have you ever taken a car ride in India? Remember Indiana Jones when he's fighting the Nazis and he's swerving the truck and hitting everybody? That's how they drive every day, at least where I was. It's probably different now. I have lots of friends here. They drive like, like us, which isn't much better. But anyway, they, they, it was crazy. I'm sicker than sick, and I'm on the wild mouse ride. You know, I'm on a roller coaster ride. You know, he's swerving and swerving. I'm just like, God, help me. God, help me. I'm praying the whole time. God, help me. God, help me just help me just get to that camp. Just get to that camp. And I'm like, feel like I'm gonna die. And he's, you know, just die. And finally, I get, we get there, and I get out, and I'm white as a ghost. I'm so like sweating, and I'm like sicker than sick. And they all came running up. You you made it. You made it. He goes, did you vomit? Did you vomit? I go, yeah, I did a lot of vomiting. Let me tell you, you know. <laughs> so they all were amused by that. And, I, and they gave me an orange Fanta. It was orange Fanta. They gave me an orange Fanta to take home. It was like toxic. I kept it on my shelf for a while and then I disposed of it. But anyway, they said, ready for the mountain? I go, oh, I, I don't know. Go, we're going to help you. And they all grab my arms and we start going up the mountain. I'm like, just. Just like I was in the bed, just like I'm in the van, just like I'm going up the mountain, I'm like, God, please help me. Please help me. Just one more step. One more step. One more step. You ever been at that place where you're just like, God, whether it's physically or emotionally or spiritually, just one more step. The whole time, I'm like, God, help me. One more step. 
One more step. And they got my arms and they're helping me. They're just, they're so just wonderful guys. They're helping me up the rocks and all that. Do you want to stop in Walmart? No, I'm okay. And we kept going. And finally, almost to the top, about halfway up, about halfway up, and I said, it wasn't that bad of a climb. Even sick as I was, I was still getting up there with their help. I was getting up the climb of this mountain. I said, it's not that bad. Why, why don't American pastors ever go up Prayer Mountain with you? He goes, oh, because of the vipers. <laughs> Well, they said wipers, but I know what they meant. And I go, what? I go, yeah, it's, we renamed it Prayer Mountain. It's really called Viper Mountain. There's so many vipers on this mountain. I'm like, <gasps> I'm like, they're, they're everywhere. I'm like, and so I'm now I'm watching, looking for snakes. I'm like, Kim's going to kill me if I get bit by a snake out here, you know? And, uh, and uh, so we're, you know, not that she could kill me, I'd be dead, but there are poisonous snakes everywhere. I'm like, God, please help me. Please help me. I hate snakes, right? You know, please help me. And, and the whole way up, the whole way up, please help me, please help me. It was crazy. I'm sick. I'm looking for vipers. I'm trying not to vomit. I vomit. I mean, you know, it's crazy. I, but the craziness, we finally get to, this is horrible. You know, I, how can I do it? God, help me, help me, help me. I finally get to the top, and you could not believe the view. We're on this mountain overlooking this, this valley. It was just beautiful. Just beautiful. And just felt this peace sweep over. And then we all started praying, and these guys could pray. You know, they could pray. And they all start praying, and we're praying, and just was powerful, powerful. You ever have that time of prayer where you're just with a group, and it's just powerful time of prayer? It just was like sweeping prayer. And it was crazy, this incredible view, this amazing time of prayer. And, and, and it hit me on the way down. That's where God always wants us. He always wants us dependent like that. Like, God, help me. You know, because we don't always call on God we need. No, all the time, God, help me. Help me with this call. Help me to deal with this issue. Help me to deal with my kids. Help me to answer this person. Help constantly, constantly. That's how he wants us to do. And when we are completely dependent on him, when we're completely dependent on him, we have this amazing peace. Just like I got to the top, there was this amazing view. We have this amazing peace. And we also have this amazing intimacy. That prayer time powerful we have this amazing intimacy peace and intimacy with god because that's what he wants he wants us to be completely connected to him that's what he he wants with us what are you facing today what what are you facing today what what is god using to teach you to be dependent what is god using to keep you dependent keep us dependent right it's not just getting there, but it's staying there. What is he using to keep us dependent? What are we facing? I want to encourage you to memorize 2 Corinthians 1, 8, and 9. Memorize it and to, to live that. And maybe you're, t- and you're not a Christian yet. Maybe you, God is trying to bring you to your knees. So you're watching this, listening to this. God is trying to bring you to your knees. He's bringing you through a trial to, to get you to surrender your life, to put your faith. But the first step, is putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Before we can follow him, we've got to put our faith in Jesus Christ. The step of faith is the first step. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? 
Have you ever taken that first step of saying, God, I don't want the sin anymore. I don't want the garbage anymore. I don't want anything in my life that goes against your word or your will for my life. I repent of it. I turn away from it. I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ. His death on that cross, his resurrection from the dead for me. I put my faith in him to give me, to forgive me and to give me a brand new life now and forever. Have you ever taken that step of faith? Let's pray. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Maybe God has you on your knees crawling to the cross and you're ready to take that final step of surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, of putting your faith in what he did on the cross, dying for us and coming back from the dead to give us a new life. You're, you're, You're ready to put your faith, your trust, your hope in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You can take that step of prayer right now. That that first step of faith right now. The simple prayer of faith. God, I repent of my sin. I turn away from everything in my life that goes against your word and your will for my life, your purpose for my life. Please forgive me. Because I'm putting my faith in Jesus, my hope, my trust. I'm giving my life to Jesus. Trusting his death to wash away my sin. Trusting his resurrection to give me a brand new life. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, that something incredible has happened inside of you, the Holy Spirit is now in you. You will never be the same. You have been transformed. You will never be able to go back to your old life and the old sin without and enjoy it ever again. You never did enjoy it, but now you're going to see how repulsive it is. You're not going to be able to think the same way because the Holy Spirit will speak to you and convict you and move you to become more like Jesus. You have a brand new life in Jesus Christ. And it starts this very second and goes through all of eternity. If you have taken that step of faith, I want to encourage you to commit to telling somebody today. Maybe you're here with a family member or a friend. Maybe you are watching this and you have a friend who's at work or somebody. You need someone to tell, tell me on the way out. Text me, call me, email me. All the information's in that bulletin. Fill out the card, drop it in the box. Let somebody know so that we can be excited for you and encourage you in your life in Jesus Christ. For those of us who are already Christians, already have put our faith in Christ, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Are you at your breaking point? Don't waste it. 
Don't waste this trial. Turn to God. In total dependence. Every step up that mountain, God, help me. I need you. I need your mercy. I need your grace. I can't do anything. I can't love this person. I can't fight this sin. I can't do anything without your mercy and grace. Father, I pray we would know your full power, the power of your Holy Spirit through this dependence. We pray it in Jesus' name.